You're listening to Treating Blood Cancers, the LLS podcast series for professionals. We will be joined by cancer experts to discuss blood cancer diagnosis, treatment, side effects management, and the importance of clinical trials. They will share their experience in treating patients and discuss strategies for optimal patient care. Let's get the conversation started. Welcome to Treating Blood Cancers, the LLS podcast series for professionals. I'm Dr. Ken Miller. I'm a medical oncologist and a volunteer for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And I want to thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Today we'll be joined by Dr. Frederick Locke, who is the Vice Chair of the Department of Blood and Bone Marrow Transplantation and Cellular Immunotherapy and co-leader of the Immunology Program at the Moffitt Cancer Center. Fred, thanks for joining us. Hi, Ken. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to start out by talking about sort of advances and changes in oncology. And I've been doing this for a while and sort of earned the gray hair that I have. But some of the changes have been relatively minor ones. You know, we're changing a dose of something, we're optimizing the dose, or we're changing the drug. But some therapies have been transformative. And I, so I wanted to ask you about CAR-T. Is CAR-T transformative and why? Why is it transformative? Yeah, that's a great question. CAR-T is definitively transformative in the field of medical oncology. Similar to the advent of targeted therapies built upon our understanding of molecular oncology, uh, the advent of Gleevec and Matinib and similar therapies a number of years ago, CAR-T is transforming the way we approach treatment, in particular for leukemia and lymphoma patients, but I expect it will transform the way we treat many different malignancies in the future. And I think the reason it's transformative is because it's a different paradigm. We're actually reprogramming the immune system cells, T cells in this case, to attack the cancer. And while we had a similar transformation with the advent of checkpoint blockade therapies that stop the tumor's breaks on the immune system and allow the immune system to fight against cancer, here we're actively reprogramming the immune system cells against the tumor, and it requires a whole different a whole different paradigm, a whole different set of resources to do these treatments. We have to collect the cells. We have to manufacture the cells. We have to have a different knowledge in order to administer the cells and also look out for the toxicity. So I think it, it is truly transformative, uh, and that's beyond just the amazing results that we've seen, which in and of themselves, and B-cell leukemias and lymphomas are remarkable which, by the way, I, I totally agree with you. You know, this, I don't think that CAR-T is coming out of nowhere. I think, you know, certain things have led up to it. And, and I wanted to ask you about that. How has allogeneic BMT, how's our understanding of graft-versus-host disease, how have the advances in, in checkpoint inhibitors sort of given, maybe perhaps given birth, or how did they inform uh, how we do CAR-T now? Yeah, so CAR-T didn't just fall from the sky. Investigators, scientists have been evaluating this sort of therapy in animal models for 30 years now, although the success in multi-center clinical trials and the recent FDA approvals of two CD19-directed CAR-T cell therapies 
did happen very, very quickly. And that's built upon the single center, single cancer center success of these therapies, showing they could they could work very well for patients with large B-cell lymphoma and acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And that led to, obviously, investment, licensing, and, and rapid development in that space. So it's been a long time coming. Where we're at now in terms of administration of the therapies, that's where our lessons learned from as you mentioned, allogeneic stem cell transplant and autologous stem cell transplant. These are actually the the paradigms we're using to treat patients with CAR T-cell therapy. We have a consultation with a a physician who's familiar with cell therapies, just like a transplant physician would be. We have to collect the cells, at least for the current FDA-approved therapies. Patient undergoes an apheresis, just like they would for an autologous hematopoietic stem cell transplant. We have to ship the cells and receive the cells as we would for allogeneic stem cell transplants. And then, you know, we have to watch the patients very closely because they can get very sick. They can become very ill with the toxicities from the therapy, and we have to have specialized expertise to manage that. And although the toxicities are different than allogeneic stem cell transplant, the intensity of the toxicities is similar. So we do have a built-in knowledge base that helps us and allows us to rapidly learn how to give these therapies to our patients. You know, I wanted to ask you, the graft versus leukemia effect, graft versus lymphoma effect, is that similar or how is it different from CAR-T therapy? Yeah, so allogeneic stem cell transplant is the original cell therapy. Been doing it for almost a half a century, decades and decades and decades, and relatively recent discoveries over the last 20 to 30 years has really revealed that the success of allogeneic stem cell transplant is not solely due to the chemotherapy that wipes out the cancer, but it's also due to the replacement of the immune system, the patient's immune system, the patient with cancer, with the immune system of the donor. And that donor immune system could recognize the leukemia or lymphoma, whatever the disease may be, and prevent it actively fight it and prevent it from coming back. So so in some ways, CAR T-cell therapy is, is similar in that regard. It's, it's different, though, in that, at least in, with the current FDA-approved therapies, we actually take the patient's own T-cells via apheresis and reprogram them all against a single target, which with the FDA-approved therapies is against CD19, which is on the surface of all B-cells, and then we reinfuse them. And of course, what makes CD19 such a great target is that B-cell cancers and B-cells themselves really need that CD19 on their surface to um, survive. And in fact, the side effects of depleting normal B-cells is something that we can manage and and we uh, are used to in our oncology patients. And so depleting the normal B-cells is an expected side effect of of CD19 CAR T-cell therapy, and we're able to manage that. When patients that are treated for, for lymphoma in general, first-line therapy, and get our CHOP and go into remission, do we find self-actualized, self-developed CAR T cells that our own patients have that actually protect them against relapse, or are these really just uh, manufactured cells? So there is evidence that in lymphoma patients and in patients with other malignancies that there are native T cells within the patient's own body that could recognize tumor antigens, specific proteins that are either overexpressed in the tumor cells or are uh, maybe cancer testes antigens that are only expressed in those tumor cells in adults. And 
we can find those cells circulating in the patient, but obviously they're not working to prevent the lymphoma from growing. Where CAR T cell therapy differs is it's a gene therapy. It's redirecting them all against a single target, and it does it in an artificial way. The CAR, or chimeric antigen receptor, is a gene that's inserted into each of the, those T cells, usually through a viral vector. It gets in there, it's expressed, it expresses a protein, again called a CAR, chimeric antigen receptor. And the current FDA-approved CAR T cell therapies utilize, so that CAR protein spans the membrane of the T cell, and the, the binding piece is really derived from an antibody, a monoclonal antibody. And so whereas an antibody is just kind of float in the blood and they attach to things and they turn on the immune system to fight things that shouldn't be there, T cells normally have to recognize something in the, in the context of a MHC molecule, HLA, uh, human leukocyte antigen molecule that presents the peptide derived from the protein. And it's that MHC peptide complex that a T cell receptor would normally recognize. So it doesn't simply recognize in, in nature, a T cell doesn't simply recognize a protein or a target, it recognizes a target as presented by an MHC molecule, typically from an um, antigen-presenting cell, but could be from any cell in the human body. Whereas a CAR sort of cuts through all that and just says, we're going to put a piece of an antibody attached to the signaling domain of the T-cell receptor so that when it binds, it activates the T-cell. And so it, it really is a non-natural way of activating the T-cell, but it's one that's extremely effective. There are similar therapies called T-cell receptor therapies or TCR therapies, which have a more complex structure that recapitulates a TCR or a T-cell receptor that could activate T-cells, similar to a CAR, but those require binding to an HLA peptide complex in order to activate. I want to break it down a little bit further for for some of the listeners, including myself. So you got the lymphoma cell, which has antigens on it, CD19, for example, an antigen presenting cell presents that to the CAR T. Is that correct? No. So an antigen presenting cell is an you know, immune system cell that, that lives within our bodies and picks up all different kinds of things. It could be pieces of foreign bacteria or peptides from dying cells from our own bodies, and it presents those things to our T cells and other immune system cells. And the T cells have adapted to know whether that's a self-antigen or not. And this is the way that checkpoint inhibitors work, is that the tumors have evolved to sort of prevent the T cells from activating against tumor antigens that are presented by MHC molecules. And the checkpoint blockade sort of blocks that. Here with CAR T cells, we just reprogram all the T cells against CD19, which is a normal protein. We don't have naturally any T cells that would recognize CD19 because they've been edited out during our development because that would be detrimental if we had immune system cells destroying other immune system cells that express CD19. So instead, we, we reprogram the T cells that would normally recognize other things to recognize CD19 wherever it sees it, which is almost invariably on the surface of B lymphocytes, uh, sometimes in circulation it can be soluble. And when that T cell now reprogrammed with a car touches that CD19 bearing target, it activates and, and kills it. So it's a very unnatural way against a target that is very normal that we wouldn't normally have an immune system response against. A few questions related to that. You know, people have talked about off-the-shelf CAR T-cells. And so I wanted to ask about that. I mean, does it have to be the patient's own cells? And where do you think that will go as this field develops? 
So certainly we've talked a bit about MHC or HLA molecules and the way they present antigens and how T-cell receptors recognize those combinations, the peptide and MHC molecule complex, and it tells them to activate or not. If we use an allogeneic CAR, we have to be sure that the MHC or HLA system of the donor matches the patient because the CAR T-cells could be rejected by the patient if there's not a match there. And so we have to be sure that they match. The other consequence is the donor CAR T-cells, the native T-cell receptors on them could attack the the patient's cells in the body and cause a graft-versus-host disease. So most of the um, allogeneic CARs that are undergoing testing are using gene editing technology to cut out the T-cell receptor so that the T-cell receptor of the donor's CAR CAR Mm T-cells is not there to prevent that graft-versus-host disease from happening. How neat that is. It's almost like using the advantages of aloe, but having cut out the graft-versus-host disease. Is that fair to say? Well, it it works differently than an aloe. When we do an aloe, we try to match the immune systems as close as we can, knowing that they never perfectly match, so that those minor differences are what cause that new immune system to fight against the cancer and, and destroy destroy it because of all those minor differences in tumor antigens that come up. Whereas in CAR, if we're using an allogeneic CAR, we still reprogram all those donor T cells against CD19, for example. But we're preventing the the side effects you'd get from putting donor T cells into a patient that don't necessarily match. So it's pretty remarkable, but we haven't proven that allogeneic CARs are safe in a large clinical trial, a multicenter clinical trial, nor have we proven that they have the same effectiveness as autologous CAR T cells, cells collected from the patient themselves. But that's certainly a very interesting area of investigation. We're running a number of clinical trials here at Moffitt uh, to test out off-the-shelf CARs, as we sometimes call them, or allogeneic CAR T-cell therapy, CD19-directed CAR T-cell therapy for lymphomas and leukemias. All right, so if we talk again, let's say we do a yearly update. I'm going to put this down as a question to ask you a year from now. Absolutely, a year, or or I think before we see an FDA-approved off-the-shelf CAR T-cell therapy could be several years down the road, but uh, we're actively testing those in the clinic and working on those for sure. So I wanted to ask you about the preparative regimen. Why do you need a preparative regimen? What's the purpose of it? Does that influence, is it either a positive or, and or negative in terms of patient outcomes? You know, and because obviously this was a, this took many years to work out with, with aloe, what was the ideal regimen? And so tell us a little bit about how, and you've been very involved in this field, and I, in a couple of minutes I want to ask you about your own study, but tell us in general about preparation. Yeah, so we give patients conditioning chemotherapy prior to infusion of the CAR T-cells. And the easiest way to think about this is that there are a number of T-cells within every person's body. They're circulating. They're also hanging out in lymph nodes and within the tissues. And those T-cells sort of give themselves signals to regenerate themselves. They proliferate at a low level. Now, if we were to infuse some CAR T-cells, even if it's the patient's own T-cells that have been reprogrammed against CD19, they have to compete with the native T-cells that are already there. And so the best way to encourage their proliferation and expansion within the body is to deplete the normal T-lymphocytes and other immune system cells by giving chemotherapy ahead of time, conditioning chemotherapy. So generally, we use fludarabine and cyclophosphamide, 
and those two drugs work very well to deplete normal circulating lymphocytes, and that makes space if you will, for the infused CAR T cells to get in. And then they take advantage of all that space, that theoretical or figurative space, and they capitalize on all the cytokines that compensate, they increase and are secreted because the, all the other lymphocytes have been decreased. You get an increase in homeostatic cytokines like IL-7 and IL-15. And then when the CAR T cells get into the patient's blood, they're exposed to that, then they proliferate and they, and they grow rapidly. And, and we actually know that the degree to which they expand in the patient's body correlates to the, the chance for long-term remissions for patients with lymphomas or leukemia. So it's very important that the therapy, that the cells live and grow in the body. You know, along those lines, how, I mean, ideally, how long do you want the, uh, the CAR Ts to live? What's the minimum amount of time they need to be in, in the body successfully to generate uh, a curative response? The short answer is it depends, and it depends on what kind of disease we're treating. For large, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, we know that the cells probably need to be there at least a month, if not three to six months. We don't know exactly how long they need to be there, but we do know that in patients with aggressive lymphomas, they can have return of their normal B-cells, B-cells that have CD19 on their surface, while the patient's in remission at one year out or, or two years out. And actually, the return of those normal B-cells tells us that there's not any remaining functional CAR T-cells there. And so those patients continue to remain in remission for years down the road. So we don't have an exact timeline that they have to live and be effective at depleting C or killing CD19-bearing cells. It's possible for ALL that they may need to be around longer. And there's also different kinds of CAR T-cells, even the two FDA-approved products, which are axicaptogene Sililucil and Tisagen Leclucil, each of those have a different co-stimulatory domain, which allows them to activate at different sort of timelines or persist longer in one case. We think that axicaptogene sililucil sort of activates quicker and kills cells more quickly probably and proliferates uh, more quickly, whereas tisagen leclucil may not proliferate and activate quite so quickly, but it probably persists longer. And so they just have different properties and it may be different for each of those how long they need to persist in order to get rid of the cancers. And, and then, of course, and I would just add that, you know, each cancer is different. We know lymphoma is curable, at least aggressive B-cell lymphoma with high-dose chemotherapy, and ALL in, in many cases is also curable, but other cancers may not be curable once they're metastatic or they're progressed, and so you may have to have more persistence of CAR T-cells for other diseases or multiple infusions. You know, I know we don't like to make guesses, but for solid tumors, would your supposition be that you need more persistence? Yeah, so I think solid tumors have, for multiple reasons, are, are going to be more difficult to cure with CAR T-cell therapy. We're going to, uh, the, the first thing that has to sort of be figured out is that with CD19 targeting against ALL and large B-cell lymphoma, we can get rid of normal B-cells and be okay. Similarly, we, we target something called B-cell maturation antigen or BCMA for multiple myeloma, and that's probably the next target that will, will get FDA approval. But for solid tumors, we can't just simply target a common antigen on the surface of, let's say, the colon lining because a patient has colon cancer. 
because it would destroy the colon lining and that toxicity wouldn't be bearable. Whereas we know we can support patients without uh, normal B cells. So we have to be more elegant in our design of these therapies so that we, we target only the tumor and not the normal tissue. And then to your question, yeah, I think we need to be sure that the cells persist. It may take multiple infusions. There's a lot of investigation yet to be done, but I expect there'll be many more advances uh, in the years to come. There's talk about dual antigen binding, and can you tell us more about that? Sure. So the current FDA-approved CAR T-cell therapies, axacaptogene, sililucil, and tisagen leclucil, both target CD19 on the surface of the B cells. There's evidence that the tumors may evolve so that the CD19 that's on the surface of them can mutate. So the CD19 is still there, but the piece that the car would bind to activate the T-cell evolves and disappears. And so there's work being done to create CAR T-cells that have dual antigen binding. There's testing going on with CD19, CD20, uh, dual antigen binding cars, also CD19 and CD22, dual antigen binding cars, and there's a, a number of other different targets that could be combined. And the thought is that this combination will decrease the likelihood of the tumor evolving. However, there is evidence that CD19 loss happens, but it happens only in about a third of patients. And so, at least in lymphoma, and maybe up to a half of, of ALL patients. So it's not the only thing that needs to be done to improve this therapy. And in fact, we need to better understand the mechanisms of resistance. What prevents the cars from expanding? What's, what prevents them from working? In terms of mechanisms of resistance, that is very interesting. It's only a third are losing uh, CD19. Any other sort of mechanisms you could share with us that have been hypothesized? Yeah, so it's an area of active investigation in my lab and in others. We believe that the tumor itself may have features that could suggest whether the CAR T-cell therapies will work or not. The immune environment, there could be suppressive cells within the tumor or circulating in the patient's blood that could prevent expansion of CAR T-cells or prevent them from working at the site, which would be totally independent of loss of CD19. So, you know, again, ongoing work to try to figure that out, and it would certainly be other ways of circumventing that, that mechanism of resistance than simply having dual antigen binding CARs. So let me ask you about suicide genes, safety switches. What can you tell us about those? CAR T-cell therapy can cause toxicity. That toxicity can be severe, and in fact, it, it can be fatal. Uh, about 3% of patients that we treat with CAR T-cell therapy, these are ALL or large B-cell lymphoma patients, won't die of progression of disease, but they'll die of some of the toxicities, which the two common categories are neurologic toxicities, also called ICANs or immune cell-associated neurotoxicity and the other one being cytokine release syndrome, or CRS. And, and these two major categories of toxicities can be fatal if it happens rapidly and we can't control it. Dying of these toxicities is not common, but if patients do die, it's usually because they may have a heart attack or they, they may have comorbidities that they can't withstand some of these toxicities. And so, in theory, a suicide gene or a safety switch would allow one to turn off the CAR T cells so they would, would stop doing their damage. I don't know that that is definitively going to be the answer to prevent this, these toxicities from CAR T-cell therapy. We've gotten a lot better at managing the toxicities, recognizing them earlier, and intervening earlier. 
So to me, I think we'll see some new CAR T-cell therapies that uh, maybe have better safety profiles, but uh, it's not clear to me that the future will require suicide genes or safety switches in, in all cases. So I have to say, it's, it has been very exciting looking at patients who would have died of lymphoma or leukemia who are now getting CAR-T and, and many of whom are doing well. Do you see CAR-T being moved up to earlier lines of therapy and where and what diseases? So I do believe it will get moved up to earlier lines of therapy. Just to give you an idea of how effective these treatments are, in patients with chemorefractory diffuse large B-cell lymphoma or transformed follicular lymphoma, additional chemotherapy, we'd expect them to have less than a 1 in 10 chance of having a complete remission. Complete disappearance of lymphoma, a 1 in 10 chance. And their chance for uh, durable remissions are very, very low. With CAR T-cell therapy, in particular axicaptogene cellulosal, those same patients, that same patient population, we can see responses in, in over 80% of patients, complete responses in over 50% of patients, and remarkably, about 40% of those patients, again, patients who had a less than 1 in 10 chance of having a complete remission with chemo, 40% remain in remission at two years and counting. We actually expect these remissions to continue. So these therapies are pretty remarkable in the, the responses they can cause and the durability of responses. Interestingly, when we look at the uh, what predicts for response or no response in these patients, and again, this is lymphoma patients, we don't see obvious factors that would predict for lack of response. Things that in lymphoma would, you know, high IPI or double hit lymphomas, those don't necessarily predict, at least in our few hundreds of patients we've done these therapies in in the pivotal trials, doesn't predict for response or lack of response. And so as we move them up to earlier lines of therapy, it is a good thing and that patients who are of high-risk disease, we'd expect to have similar high rates of durable responses. What's unclear is if the response rates will be even higher as we move it up earlier into the into earlier lines of therapy. But there are ongoing randomized clinical trials for large B-cell lymphoma patients testing CAR-T as second line instead of or randomized against uh, second-line chemotherapy, which would normally be followed by an autologous hematopoietic stem cell transplant. And then there's even other studies that are attempting to do it as a first-line therapy for very high-risk patients. So I, I think wow. it will come earlier and earlier in large B-cell lymphoma and ALL based upon randomized trials. And then, of course, the other therapy is BCMA CAR T-cell therapy for multiple myeloma. And I expect we'll see an FDA approval for that on the horizon, and similarly, randomized trials are being designed and actually already being tested, and so we'll see it moving up earlier, which is very exciting. Fred, I read uh, just as a, probably as a last question, but the New England Journal had your article from a couple of years ago on the Zuma trial. I hope I got that. Yeah, Zuma one. But yeah. can you summarize very briefly what the findings were? And then I let me ask you again, taking it a step further, based on those, you know, what are some of the things you would talk about with a patient thinking about this as a, a first or second line as opposed to looking at it as a, as a third, fourth, or fifth line? Yeah, so, you know, I, I kind of sort of already summarized it a little bit, which is that patients who have really no options, patients who have less than a 1 in 10 chance of, of getting a complete remission to chemo now have a 40% chance of ongoing remission two years after infusion, a single infusion of 
CAR T cell therapy. And that's, that's really what we showed in the Zuma-1 clinical trial. And I think, you know, for patients who have just been diagnosed with diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, we know that a good proportion of them could be cured with combination chemoimmunotherapy, RCHOP, perhaps 60, maybe 70% of those patients. But it's the patients who aren't cured with upfront therapy. Those patients really overall, if you look at their outcomes, fare very poorly. We know that second-line chemo might work about 50% of the time to put a patient in remission. And of those patients that it works for, about 50% of those could be cured with an autologous hematopoietic stem cell transplant, meaning that if a patient relapses after first-line therapy with diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, at best they have about a 25% chance of ongoing durable remission. And so now we have this option, CAR T-cell therapy, which in much sicker patients, more advanced disease, 40% have ongoing durable remissions at two years and counting. I think it's a, I'd be surprised if the randomized clinical trials don't show that CAR T-cell therapy is better than chemo followed by autologous transplant for second-line treatment. And I think these will be, you know, have profound implications for patients who have diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. And similarly for ALL patients and maybe for myeloma patients, we'll see similar results in the years to come. So I have to say, it's been incredible talking about this. It really is transformative, and not everything is in our field. This is Dr. Ken Miller, and there's been a wonderful talk about CAR-T therapy. I want to thank Dr. Fred Locke from the Moffitt Cancer Center for being with us. Fred, thank you for a great session. Thank you so much, Ken. I really enjoyed it, and glad to come back anytime, provide updates. Thank you. And I want to thank all of the listening audience for participating as well. For additional CAR-T therapy resources, be sure to check out the LLS webpage, which is www.lls.org forward slash CART. And for a listing of our continuing education activities and healthcare professional resources, please visit www.lls.org forward slash CE. For any questions or refer a patient, please contact our Information Resource Center by calling 800-955-4572. Information specialists provide personalized one-on-one support to help patients learn about their disease, treatment, financial, and other support resources. Thanks for listening to Treating Blood Cancers, the LLS podcast series for professionals. We can be found on iTunes and other podcatchers. You can subscribe at www.treatingbloodcancers.org and provide your suggestions for future topics. Visit our archive section on our website for other great podcasts. Be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Keep up with LLS by following us on Twitter at LLSUSA and on Facebook at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society and access our professional continuing education activities by visiting lls.org CE. Let's keep the conversation going. Until next time.